big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Welcome to another episode of Brewers. I'm Emily. I'm Matt. And this is a podcast that brings you the stories behind your favorite beer. You might ask yourselves, why are we in such a jovial mood and and why are we listening to this song? song about Texas? Well, Emily, tell us. So one of our listeners, her name is Jelly's Drinks on Instagram. That's J-E-L-L-Y-S Drinks. Sent us some beer from Texas. So we're super pumped and we get to scratch off Texas on our map of listener beer submissions. 50 beers, 50 states. Yeah. And she sent us some really cool stuff. Uh, so what we're drinking today is the Funnel Cake Ale by Community Beer Company. And the Snickerdoodle Ale from Community Ale as well. So the Funnel Cake Ale is an English summer ale, and it actually has pureed Madagascar vanilla beans infused in it. Uh, So I'll be really curious to see what this tastes like because I'm a little bit of a snob, and I think that using real Madagascar vanilla bean is probably going to make a huge difference here. Absolutely. So the Snickerdoodle Ale is an ale spiced with uh, cinnamon and vanilla. It is 5.2%. And made in Texas. Mm. And they use the the same vanilla in this as well. That's correct. Um, and the funnel cake ale, I forgot to mention, is 4.2%. So it's a whole percent less than the snickerdoodle. Um, but I'm really excited to try these, so let's crack them open. Yeah, we're going to crack it open. Oh, that was a little weak crack, but it's all right. Uh, so right off the bat, the smell. Holy cow, it smells like mom's fresh cookies. Mm. I love this good snickerdoodle. So. Yeah, and the funnel cake smells really nice. Reminiscent of like a state fair, mm-hmm. for sure. Wow, this is impressive. So the funnel cake for me, like I'm getting the vanilla aftertaste, but right in the front, it's definitely like a nice hearty ale, and it's really like mm-hmm. really light in the mouthfeel. Like I'm really into this. This is kind of summery and cute. Like you would think that a desserty sort of beer would be more like a winter kind of yeah. drinking beer, but this is definitely something I could see like bringing to a barbecue or. Um, just kind of like chilling on my back tech in the sun drinking this for sure I uh, this is you can definitely tell it's a beer first right so the, what I like about my beer the snickerdoodle ale is it's a beer first and then you get that nice aftertaste you know the cinnamon the vanilla uh, undertones uh, so I haven't tried the funnel cake I'm gonna try that wow the snickerdoodle smells really good it's got that nice cinnamony and vanilla smell it smells like really sweet mm yeah, and so the original this this the funnel cake ale was originally brewed to celebrate the 2014 State Fair of Texas, and um, this unique ale has a built a strong local following. So this is a very popular beer for community. Yeah, I could see that, and I mean their packaging is really cool. The funnel cake actually has like a little Ferris wheel in the background on the label, and then the Snickerdoodle ale is just, just looks like, like a this, Snickerdoodle. Yeah, a pretty little kind of cookie cut out with. Nice cursive font. So great job, Community Beer. I really hope I get down to Texas sometime soon because I'd love to check out the beer scene down yeah, there. Yeah, I'm so excited because I will p- probably be going to Texas a lot in the upcoming future. So I'm really excited. Uh, I would heavily suggest, though, I'm on a Texas kick lately, kind of just figuring out everything down there. Uh, Torchy's Taco. Torchy's Taco. Just look it up on Instagram. You mm. will not be disappointed and the other thing uh i've been crushing a lot of is topo chico topo chico yeah so uh, this week i've been drinking a lot of topo chico and our guest this week sylvaticus brewing yay yeah sylvaticus yeah i'm excited one of the two breweries in amesbury massachusetts which which is is really cool for us because we grew up well matt's from rowley i'm from byfield and I certainly never thought I would see the beer scene start coming up in Amesbury of all places. So I'm like really pumped about that. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Amesbury is definitely on the up and up. So I'm very, very excited. And Sylvaticus and is doing it really, really great. Yeah, I think you guys are going to like this interview. Yeah. But before we get to the interview, Emily, do we have some fun facts for this week? Uh, yes, I've got a fun fact about hops. Ooh, um, t- tell me more. So... I'm not sure if anybody in our listener community knows about this, but hops are actually used for more than just brewing beer. So some people actually use hops for naturopathic remedies, specifically as a sleep aid. So um, people claim that, yeah, so apparently hops has a similar effect to like melatonin or lavender, like things that you would use, like these naturopathic remedies, like, you know, you'd rub lavender on your pillow or you take a melatonin pill at night. I guess people actually like insert little bags of hops into their pillow 
and they also use like tinctures and like little gelatin capsules with concentrated hops in them um, to get some of those like naturopathic effects. So if any of our listeners actually use hops for something other than beer making, I would love to hear from you guys. Tell me, tell me what you use it for. Yeah, absolutely. I could always use a little bit of help sleeping. So <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah. Uh, so Matt, what happened in beer history? Well, before I get into what happened in beer history, I think Oregon is making a little bit of history itself. Oh, so I'm going to talk about some present day history. So, uh, in Oregon, they're going to reusable bottles slowly because they're not sure of what it will, how it will impact carbon footprint. And to get some buy-in, they need to show some data. So they're slowly, slowly rolling it out. Cool. But Oregon is going to be the first state in the 50 states in the United States to reissue the use of reusable bottles. So this is not yeah, a so new thing to the United States, but it hasn't been here since World War II. Tell me more about how you would go about actually reusing a bottle like is it that you can go to a liquor store and buy beer and then bring the bottles no (laughs) so the way that it's working right now um the oregon beverage recycling cooperative will introduce refillable bottles statewide it's going to first start when new bottles roll off the line at the filler at widemer brothers brewery Hmm. so it's just starting at like one brewery and And then then within the next couple weeks uh six more breweries will start selling reusable bottles they'll go into circulation and if they see good results, it will continue. So I assume that if you buy a beer from this brewing company, what is it, the Weisner? Widmer. Widmer Brothers. Um, basically, you have to bring it directly back to them in order for it to be reused, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. You cool. Would. I mean, this is a great start. <laughs> like, why have we not been doing this? Yeah, People so in, like, Europe does this. Like, Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you, you as a beer drinker and our listeners beer drinkers, you know that there are a billion different types of bottle designs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the OBRC, Oregon Beverage Recycle Corporation, needs to oversee a singular bottle that all breweries can use. Right. So that way that they can all clean them properly mm-hmm. and then distribute them. Because that's part of the hard thing is like cleaning. You want to make sure that you have sterile bottles so your beer doesn't get bad and people don't get sick. Right. And actually filling them with fresh beer is a challenge if they're all kind of different shapes and sizes. Yep. So. That's really cool. Step yeah. in the right direction. So, so far, the breweries to sign up, Widmer Brothers, Bowie, Gigantic, Double Mountain, Good Life, Wild Ride, and Rock Bottom. So, this officially launched yesterday. Wow. And uh, pretty crazy. Wow. Congrats, Oregon. Yeah. And uh, we're going to post this in the link below. Uh, you can see it on iTunes and all s- podcast mediums. So, check it out. The article's really, really cool. And I'm very excited to see Come on, just come east. Like I want. <laughs> I know. Like I so always feel responsible. Like I, why are we always late to the party? I know, and I feel bad. Like I love drinking beer out of a can, mm-hmm. but I always feel bad like recycling it. It's like oh, this could just be reused. I mean, the can can't, but like a bottle for sure. Right. Like there has and, to be a better way. Basically, like, I was talking about this with somebody that soda and beer I think tastes better out of a bottle. I know there will be beer drinkers that listen and they'll be like, "No, you're crazy. Beer tastes great in a can." <laughs> I'm We're sorry. drinking out of a can now, We're and I have out no of complaints. Can. But yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely argue that. I mean, I get my Bud Light <laughs> in a Bud bottle Latte. for a reason because like Bud Light is already Bud Light, so yep. I'd rather drink it out of a bottle than a can. I think it just tastes a little bit better. Yeah. So, in a nutshell, Oregon, good on you. Keep on keeping on. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if a larger brewing company, in like. In like Colorado, able to pull this off called Coors Light. Yeah, I mean, like I <laughs> okay, think when all was the last they time need you drink Coors out of a bottle, though. I I can't tell you, but I think that what needs to happen if this is going to really turn is the domestics need to do it. Yeah. You know, because there's more people who are drinking the domestic beer. So if you're listening, Coors Light, I know you are. <laughs> Go to refillable bottles. People might buy it. I don't yeah. know. Figure it out. It's a big ops challenge, but figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and right. So what actually happened in beer history? <laughs> so <laughs> on this day in beer history, let me uh, get my handy dandy book out just because the date is a little fuzzy to me. But basically the state of New York had sure it's really... 1842. It's 1842. So June 22nd, 1842, New York basically had really crappy water. Yeah. Thus, they no had doubt. really crappy beer. And sick people. And sick people. So on this date in June... On June 22nd, 1842, the New York City Reservoir was open. 
and made New York have some of the best water in the nation. And, by effect, some of the best, best beer. beer. At so least some of the least dangerous beer. Yeah, so it c- took a couple of years for New York to catch up, but at the time, it became the home of what was considered several of the best breweries in the world. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I can't believe I remembered that it was 1842. Yeah, all it, it's so weird because I feel like all of my beer history has been how water can be clean. Mm. and well it's important it's it's uh, any brewer worthwhile will tell you that the water quality is probably the most important yeah well emily do you feel like you learned something i think i learned a lot today yeah i think it's time to get on to the interview yeah so without further ado um brewery sylvaticus out of ames mass i hope you guys enjoy the interview and we'll catch you on the other side cheers we are here today and it's a uh kind of like a lovely monday i'd say uh, at least we have power. I lost power for two days. You guys said you lost power for what, 30 seconds? Yeah, not something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So I'm here with Jay and Mark from Sylvaticus. How are you? And I said that correctly. You did. You did. Welcome, guys. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how was your weekend? It was good. Yeah. No complaints. We're out of February. Yes, yes. We're out of February and we're on to bigger and better things. So. Tell us a little bit about yourselves, uh, your roles here at the brewery, and your first memory of beer. Jay, you want to go? Go ahead. You start. All right. All right. What was the what was the questions again? All right. A little bit about yourself, <laughs> your role here at the brewery, and your first memory of beer. Uh, first memory. Uh, can I go for first memory of beer first? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, my father drank tasteless lagers, so my first beer experience wasn't really very good. I think it was a Peels or a Schlitz. He used to buy it for like $3 a case, and there was like 25 cases in the garage. And it, which it wasn't good. Like, you know, I snuck one away and went and cranked it down in the woods when I was, a, you know, I don't even think I was a teenager yet. And I almost barfed, and that was not really, not really a pleasant experience. Um, my first. Um, uh, luckily, as I went on as a beer drinker, it got better, but... No, but the early stuff was just light lagers. Um, so um, I guess Jay, Jason and I founded uh, Brewery Savaticus a little over a year ago. Two and years ago. Two years ago now. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we wanted to make uh, we wanted to make a, uh, a public drinking house, and uh, I think we've achieved it. We feel good about it. Um, I guess my role is is uh, assistant brewer and. Um, uh, head of sales and um, bartender and floor scrubber and whatever else needs to be done around here, and um, yeah, and you know we're we're pretty brand new, but uh, we're excited about where things are going. Um, Jay, uh, so I guess my first memory of beer. Sorry, I'm a little hoarse though. Um, First memory of beer, I would say same as kind of light lagers, you know, dads, uncles drinking Budweiser, Coors Lights, something like that. Um, but I think for me, one of the things that really stood out as, as a teenager is my uncle um, went to one of those uh, kind of brew your, brew your own deals. Like the you go to the place, they have, you know, a one barrel system and everybody goes with your friends and they give you a kit and you make your beer and then you take it home with you. And. I remember at his house as a teenager, you know, trying a couple of those beers, and it really kind of interested me in, like, that there was something different besides what you just saw everybody was drinking. And I wasn't a big beer drinker in my younger days, but um, there were a couple of gateway beers for me that kind of uh, changed the way I thought about what beer could be um, as a, and not as a kid, but um, as, you know, in my late teens or whatever. Um, and... My role here is I'm the uh, the head of brew house operations. Um, kind of work all the day-to-day stuff, back of house, uh, fill in when needed, make sure everybody has what they need to kind of take care of what they do. Mark um, helps out with that stuff. He works in the front of house a bunch too. My wife Michelle, uh, who's not here, she does. She's a tap room manager, so she kind of takes care of all that stuff. And um, yeah, we're uh, we've been open for about six months now, and uh, things have been good. We've been uh, we've had a great uh, kind of response from the community of Amesbury, and uh, we're looking forward to kind of what the summer is going to bring us this year. Yeah. Talk about that best of Amesbury. I've seen this uh, this post on your social media. Uh, what is that, and what are you guys trying to get involved with? 
Um, so you're probably referring to, so uh, Amesbury was a finalist in a small business revolution. So it's a, uh, uh, it's put on by a media company, Deluxe, and basically they do, um, they find small towns throughout the U.S. that are in need of kind of revitalization uh, through different means. And um, what they do, they've, they've, it's a show that the first two seasons they've chosen these, these towns and they go and they pick six businesses and basically they help them to rebrand or remodel or help them in, in any way that they can based on the business's needs. And uh, Amesbury was lucky enough to be a finalist in uh, season for season three this year. And um, Amesbury is a great was a great manufacturing town, and it's um, kind of years ago kind of fell on some hard times, and a lot of that business left, and it's been kind of now kind of finding its its personality again. And we've been a big part of that. Hopefully, kind of uh, helping revitalize the downtown here, bringing more commerce in, bringing people in that. Um, usually might just pass Amesbury by because even though we're in a great location between 495 and 95 right here uh, a lot of people just kind of go right past you know that so we're kind of looking to uh, help find ways for people to come downtown and check it out and uh, it was really great the response from Amesbury and the community and the other small business owners um, really kind of inspiring for us even though we it, at the end we it turns out we didn't win um, it was still great to see the community kind of come together and, and what we're capable of here. So we're really excited to see what we can do kind of going forward to kind of keep that momentum going and kind of bring more attention and business to Amesbury. Yeah, I mean, we were psyched that, that uh, Amesbury <clears throat> got so close. You know, obviously it's a little disappointing um, when it doesn't happen, but, you know, um, they're just didn't noticing what we already knew about this place and that it's special and that uh, the people here, um, you know, when Jay and I want uh, – we're trying to open this place, you know, when you open a business, you have an idea where you want something to be, and um, you try to follow through your vision, and, you know, you, you, your fingers are crossed that, that it's going to turn out the way you really want it, and it, not only has it turned out the way we wanted it, it's turned out almost exactly the way we wanted it, and uh, Amesbury, the people of this town have really responded, because um, we just, you know, I, I've been saying forever that Amesbury is a beer town without a brewery. And then one week they got two. It was uh, us and the other brewery opened. Um, Bear Wolf opened in the same week as us, and, you know, just by coincidence. Um, but um, so they not only did they respond well, they really embraced us. And um, I was standing outside. I remember the first like week or two, I was hosing down the outside area, and and um, I had this older couple stop me and say, "Hey, Mark, I want to talk to you for a second. You know, we came in the other night. We we really weren't sure what to expect and." We didn't really know anybody, and when we came in, we had a beer, and we sat down at one of the tables, and it turned out like two or three of those people were neighbors of ours, and we didn't even know, and we started chatting with them, and it, we, and it, and it turned out to be such a lovely night, and we just want to thank you for that. And, that, and that, man, that really, like, when they walked away, I was choking up, because I was like, that is exactly what we were trying to do here, and to see it come back like that, um, it's, been, it's, been pretty, it's been pretty awesome for us. It's cool. You use the term public house, and that yeah. is a, that's an older term. Uh, yeah. Public house in the past was a meeting place. People would have business and basically do things that people accomplish over email, text message, and phone calls when that stuff didn't exist. Is yeah. that what you're trying to bring back? You know, have this be a meeting place. Have this be a place people have a first date or, you know, have, you know coming well, like, after dinner or, you know what, just come after work. Uh, well, absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we are obviously in, uh, if you look at our beer menu, we're European-style brewing. Um, and we wanted to bring that ethos to um, to these local to this local community. You know, J Jay and I have been to many breweries around the you know around the country, around you know in Europe, and uh, we've always really just enjoyed that vibe um, that you get in Europe. You see pe people; it's a meeting house. The whole families come, children come. It's not demonized for you to bring your kids to a brewery in Europe. And it's slowly getting better here. I, I've, I've even heard that like that from parents like oh you must think I'm a terrible parent to bring my kid and I was like what are you talking about my daughter's right over there <laughs> you know like it's that's you know we're trying to take the demon away from the drinking experience and um, and I you know um, yes the public house is a place where everybody meets um, or does work or speaks after work or you have a couple of beers and you go home you know or you meet your family members and you have a couple of beers and then you go home and you meet some friends you have some beers and you go home so like that's that's sort of what we were trying to accomplish here, and I think we're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, I say, um, again, like that European influence for us, you know, German beer garden, British public house, kind of people can come, they can sit, 
we don't have any TVs. We kind of try to create an experience and cultivate an experience for the people when they come here. So it's not just about the beer. You know, it's about the ambiance. It's about the music. It's about kind of everybody coming together and being able to sit at community communal tables together and, and speak and conduct business. And, and it's it's really been went above and above beyond our expectations at this point. Really impressed how everyone's kind of embraced that because, you know, putting this whole thing together, we definitely, you know, there were times we were second-guessing ourselves. Should we have TVs? Are we, are we making a mistake? You know, are, we, are our choices of beer styles not going to be accepted? But in the end, you know, everybody, you know, has really kind of embraced it. And I think um, the biggest thing for us is we've been able to build trust with the, you know, our customers coming in. You know, at first they might not be sure what a, a Rauk beer is or a Berliner Weiss is, but as they've come in, they've drank the beers we've tried to educate them in you know in a non-pretentious way just to explain to them the styles and why we do certain things and how you know it's you know we you can develop these nuanced styles of beers without like bombarding them with with one ingredient or whatever and it's how it's a balance of the beers you know all of our beers it's all about the balance and how the flavors kind of come together and, and managing different yeast strains so we can have a variety of different styles to suit anybody's palate um, but it, it takes a while to kind of earn that, that trust from the customer because they don't really, coming in, they're like, oh, well, I don't know, I don't drink sour beer, I don't, I don't like smoked beer, you know, but we've, we've been able to kind of steadily build that trust, whereas they more and more they come in, now it's like, oh, what's the new beer? Okay, can I try that? Oh, this is great, I'll take one. And uh, to the point where now it's most customers, they come in and they say, I'll, I'll have the new beer, you know, n- with no hesitation. And that's that's really something that's really kind of beautiful and that we, you know, you, I think we didn't really realize that it would take some time to do that, but how quickly we've been able to kind of build and maintain that trust. And it's not something to take it, you know, take for granted. It's something that we really appreciate and kind of strive to continue with everyone, but it allows us, you know, going forward to kind of spread our wings a little bit on the beers too and, and expand even more because we're building that trust and that following from our you know, customer base. Yeah. I mean, and, and Jay and I have always been, uh, have this attitude is that if, you know, we love beer. We're beer drinkers. We're passionate about it. We follow it. We chase it around. We argue it. We discuss it. We seek it out. We do all those things. And we, 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 we knew that if we were going to open a place, we were going to open a place that with making beers that really we want to drink. We had a rule that we weren't going to have any beers up on that board that we wouldn't want to sit down and drink at any given time if the mood strikes you to, to um, you know, and and uh, we, I think we've been pretty successful at doing that. And then we, not only that, um, you know, we, you're in the you're in the bully pulpit. You know, you got the bully pulpit as a brewery, right? You basically tell people what to drink. So we figure that if we really love beer and we drink seasonally, and we we you know when it when spring comes, we're looking for you know a spring you know type of beer. You know, when it gets colder out, obviously the beers get a little heavier. So when when it goes like that, if we, we figured that if we make beers the way we like to drink beers, it, it's, it's got to work. And, it, and it's not only has it worked, it's worked really well. Like Jay said, it's really inspiring to have this trust amongst these people who didn't drink craft beer really in this town. You know, um, all of a sudden go, wow, you know, like in, in a couple of months, they know more about beer than they, than they did in the last 10 years, which is really great. It's really great for us. It's a feel-good thing. That's cool. Thanks for sharing that. It, it helps me. Like, when I walked in here, I felt really comfortable right away. And I can tell, like, the ideologies of Sylvaticus kind of match up with Amesbury. Like, you guys were talking about there wasn't a, you know, a brewery around here. And then all of a sudden, you guys open up. And you're making sure everyone feels comfortable with it. And I think you kind of, like, ease them into it. And now they're like, oh, okay. Like, we yeah. can do this. Like, we don't have to drink a Budweiser. You know, we can enjoy um, craft beer, right, yeah. right down the street. And when I, you know, when I, we, we like to drink beers that are in reasonable uh, alcohol uh, um, uh, ABV realm too. I mean, we're not, we're not telling you you should drink an 11% beer here. Drink this, you know. <laughs> uh, we want you. I mean, not to say that we won't make one, you know. I mean, but, um, but mostly our beers are around, you know, between the four and six percent realm. You know, we serve beers by the half liter if you're drinking a lager. And the 0.4 liter, if you're drinking a, a Belgian ale, and and you know we want you to drink beers and hang around for a while. So you know we don't want to clobber you with these huge ABVs. We want you to drink a bunch of beers. That we'd rather you drink more beer than drink one or two big beers. 
And that seems to follow like the European model like you guys were talking about. I feel like yeah. there's a lot more opportunity over there to just kind of go out with your friends and you know, it's a social event. It's not like we're going to go out and you know, get crazy drinking a 12% beer, but it's more like we're going to go enjoy it and enjoy each other's company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, spending a lot of time in Europe, the thing that amazed me was the beer culture there, you know, and how it's so ingrained in the whole society, but how it's a uh, there's no stigma behind it. You know, you can go to a beer garden that has 5,000 people in it and there's there's kids, there's grandparents, there's dogs, there's fam- you know, there's families, there's couples, there's groups of young men, college guys, and everybody's getting along, everybody's having a good time, there's no fighting, there's no bouncer, like, you're just kind of, everybody's hanging out and it's acceptable. You know, we're here, there's, in certain times, there's, there's more of a stigma on it, and so trying to bring that culture, you know, to this space was really a big part of that, you know, so part of the design and, and the beers, you know, having lower ABV beers, and we want you to hang out and have a couple beers and, and not, you know, not get up off your chair and not sure where you have to go after that type of thing, so... Um, it all kind of comes into play. Again, it's about cultivating that experience for the customer coming in and, and creating something that, you know, the space is so amazing. You guys see right now, like, the light moving across the space. And um, it really, for us, it really inspired us to, that this space really needed something of, like a brewery of this ilk to kind of complement it and to kind of complete it. So um, it all ties together for us. And it's a completely different space in here during the day. Now the sunlight's coming through, especially now that the days are getting a little longer. But at nighttime, we kind of bring the lights down. We have this really kind of intimate, kind of um, almost like old world feel to it. And it's it's really amazing to see people kind of embrace that and really enjoy that aspect of it. So have you guys always been in the beer industry? And if not, what were you doing before that? And how did you get interested in, in opening up a brewery? Um, so I've been in the beer industry for about 10 years. Um, I started... I guess my my path to beginning brewing, uh, my wife, Michelle, and I, girlfriend at the time in 2005, uh, we had just started dating, and um, she had gotten the opportunity to move to California. We, didn't live, we were both grew up in New York City, um, and we were met in New York City. We were living there for a short time together, and um, she got this opportunity to move to California, to Palo Alto, to take over um, the store out there. And um, she's like, yeah, I really want to, I really think I want to take this opportunity. And I said, all right, well, all right, I'll go with you. And at the time I was, before I was a brewer, I was a, a carpenter um, and a cabinet maker. And um, so at that time I was doing home improvements in New York. Um, didn't really have a, com- a kind of defined path in what I was doing at the time. I was about 25. And uh, I was like, sure, I'll move to California with you and we can kind of start out there. So we moved out there and... She went to work right away as soon as we moved out, and I was kind of trying to figure out what I could do, looking for applying for different things. And as I w- when I was younger, I worked for a caterer and food service. So um, I there was a local brew pub right around the corner from our apartment that we had, and I ended up going in there a couple times and really was kind of fascinated by walking into a restaurant and seeing brewing equipment in the restaurant so seeing the shiny stainless and then finding out that like you can make your own beer because on the east coast there weren't a lot of places really any places that i was aware of that at the time that you know were doing that so it was really kind of a um like a light bulb went off in my head and uh i ended up getting a job there just as a host and a waiter and and spent a lot of time there and learned about the beers and the process and that kind of pushed me towards my first homebrew kit while we were living out there just stovetop extract um, just for fun, just to try it out, just because my interest was kind of peaked, and I like to know how things work. So it was that started me on that, and we were out there for about three years, and I didn't spend too much time at the brewery. I ended up getting um, getting a job in a cabinet shop out there, and uh, did that for about three years. And then when we moved back to New York City, uh, really kind of pushed me to move into all grain brewing. So building out you know my own system and doing that and interning at a brewery out in Jersey um, for a little while and then seeing the day-to-day operations of what it's like to walk into the brewery and doing all the work from scrubbing the floors to building out boxes to beating the street and going to accounts to you know I really kind of got a crash course in all those parts and it really um, at the time you know I was still woodworking and it just there was some excitement about it there was something different about it the kind of the science and the art and the really I think the community 
um, because, you know, being in California, it opened me up to this whole new world of beers with Lagunitas and Anchor and Stone and all. It just really kind of, it really, again, it was kind of an enlightenment for, enlightenment for me that really pushed me in this direction. And um, while I was interning at that brewery working for free, I kind of made the decision that, well, either I can work for free for somebody for the next two years trying to find a spot in the industry or I can go to brewing school and you know take it from that way so um, I ended up going to Siebel Institute in Chicago and um, spent some time in at Duman's Academy in Munich um, with their world brewer program and uh, that was that was kind of the that was the next kind of jump off point for me because while I was in brewing school um, you know it's a lot of theory it's not a lot of hands-on um, but the biggest thing to take away for me was all the amazing people that I met that were also like in on the same path and had the same passion um and it's great because now like a lot of those guys they own their own breweries they're doing these fantastic things they've won multiple awards like it's it and i still keep in contact with those guys and it's really a great kind of resource um and one of those guys that i met and became great friends with uh, david he was opening a brewery up in alaska he had a number of uh, restaurants up there and he was in the process of opening up the 49th State Brewing Company outside of Denali National Park. And um, we became good friends. We were in brewing school together, studied together. And somehow over that time, he convinced me that it was a good idea to go up there and help him open up the brewery. Um, and, you know, so I, I called Michelle. Michelle was still back in New York while I was brewing school. And I'm like, hey, you know, uh, what do you think about Alaska? There was a little bit of silence. And she said, what do you mean? What, what do I think about Alaska? Because the, our plan was when I left school was to go back to New York and, and open our own brewery. And um, I was like, well, I met this guy. You know, he's opening this brewery, this opportunity. It's only going to be for five months. They'll house us. They'll feed us. It basically, we can just go up and, and learn on somebody else's dime. And she thought about it a little bit over a couple days and then she called me back and she had a really good job in New York City she was working for Apple uh, she was a manager there she's like she's I been also work for Apple. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not getting paid yeah, yeah my uh, my wife has been managing people since she was 17 years old it's pretty incredible and uh, the skill set that she has and it's great because for me that's not something that I excel at so uh, she's she's really pretty incredible and she's also incredible in the fact that she's basically shared this dream with me for you know going on you know seven eight years now um so and we went back and forth and she came out to chicago and we we're like okay we'll sit down so we went to revolution brewing company in chicago and it was early morning and uh we had this meeting with david and the three of us sat there and we must have talked we talked through three servers let's put it that way so we started at 11 a.m and i think we got out of there about 7 p.m and um, just talking about life and Alaska and dreams and kind of what, you know, philosophies. And, and when Michelle and I walked out of there, we both looked at each other and said, all right, well, let's go ahead and let's do this. You know, it was when is this going to when is this opportunity going to come about again? So um, we're still in school. I finished up um, in Germany, flew back to New York, packed everything up in two days. Um, we left our house, which was still there, our cat, our dog, our car, everything. She, she quit Apple, and we flew up to Alaska and helped those guys get the brewery open. And um, the, the really amazing thing about the 49th State is when it started out, it was seasonal. So uh, they were only open for about six months because of where they're located. It's very tourist-driven. So the brewery would open into April. It would be closed by early October. And basically, we would have the winter time to do whatever we wanted. So initially, when we went up there, the plan was to just help them with the first season and kind of take it how it, take things as they come after that. Um, but that first season was really kind of a, a it, it went really, really well. You know, the beauty of Alaska and the ability to, for me to kind of take this and make it my own, essentially, because David and I share a lot of the same philosophies about beer, and you know, he's he's as being a brewer also he kind of understood the what it would take to make the beers that we wanted to make up there so um, that first season they we st I started was a half barrel system this was 2011 and um, had a couple one barrel fermenters and was brewing three times a day two times you know two three times a week going through those cycles and 
the beer would go up and it would be gone in less than a day. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, because of the, the amount of volume that was coming through. So um, there, the sheer volume of the amount of bat, I think I did about, I want to say 150 or 200 bats, individual batches of beer in that five months, four and a half months, something like that. It was like something ridiculous. So when did you sleep? I didn't. Yeah. Okay. Luckily, well, I was I, just wondering. Yeah, I, yeah. I was I just have, wondering. Well, luckily I lived inside the brewery in an apartment upstairs, so, okay. um, which is very old school European. Um, so it allowed me to uh, be there all the time. And, but the amazing thing about that experience is by brewing repetitively and the same, you know, these different beers and trying different things out, it allowed me to learn a lot about the process and to be able to see it firsthand and tasting across you know all the different flavors and learning how water affected um, the flavor of the beer and the different ingredients and it really was a it was like kind of a crash course for me that really was a huge education and I really was fascinated by the 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 idea both Michelle and I were both fascinated by the idea of, of working for seven months and having the rest of the time off to do basically whatever we wanted which for us was traveling so uh, after that first season we decided that Alaska was for us that we were going to go back the following season we went back to New York we cleaned up our lives there and, um, and this is 2011 this is the end of 2011 yeah okay. and uh, we went back up to Alaska in 2012 and when I went up in 2012 we expanded to a uh, bigger a five barrel system and so then going through that expansion and the design and ordering the equipment was a you know a good a pre good precursor for me you know building out this place obviously um but it gave me that, you know, that was that next level of, okay, now we're kind of legitimate. Now we can actually have beer on, you know, which was a big thing because that first year not having beer for most of the season because of how quickly we'd go through it was a bit, little bit of a frustration for me. Um, but the, the five-barrel system allowed us to upgrade production and, and provide beer not just to the, the brewery but the other restaurants that those guys owned. And um, we continued the, the tradition of, like, we drew a lot of different German style lagers because, you know, for me, the inspiration came from going to school in Germany, um, spending time in Belgium. Like that was, that's where a lot of the inspiration came from for those beers and obviously the beers here as well. Um, but it was, it was a great education and that went on for another three years after that. So I spent a total of five seasons up in Alaska. It was supposed to be five months. Um, and went through another expansion after that. We moved to a 15-barrel system, bigger fermenters, bigger production, kegs going out the door. Um, so throughout that time, it really gave me this really – the education that I gained through doing there was, was you know, incalculable. Like I couldn't, I couldn't have asked for anything more. And doing it in a beautiful place in the middle of Alaska outside the national park um, was really – I mean, at this point it seems like a dream, but it was really a, an amazing opportunity. All right, so tell us how – your both paths crossed with you telling us a little <coughs> bit about your backstory. All right. Well, I'm much like Jay. I'm also from New York City, and um, I I have a much different background. I came from. I was a musician most of my life. Was or are you still? I'm retired. Okay, um, that's a good. I see. I say I'm retired from things too. Yeah, like I'm, I I'm pretty much retired from it. It's you know I still play, but I don't you know I'm not I don't play in a band anymore. But I did that. You know I spent most of my life in dark clubs and then dark studios. I had a studio back in the day and um, I don't know, I just got um, around in my early 30s, I, I started getting burnt um, on being away from my family. I have a 26 year old daughter I wasn't around very much for. And I just got, you know, you, uh, I, you know, New York, uh, being a musician coursed in my veins for long enough that, but I, I got to that point where I just, I needed something different and I, I, quit the band that I'd been in for a really long time. Uh, I guess I was around 34 um, when I did that, and um, I was looking for something else, like it was something creative outlet, and I, I was threatening to write a book, and I was doing all this stuff, you know, and my wife, my wife has a literary background, so I was gonna, you know, I was gonna, I was gonna go there, and I tur it turns out that I really don't like to write. Um, and anyway, so she, I had been threatening to make beer for years, and then one one uh, uh, one Christmas, my wife bought me. Well, that Christmas, my wife bought me a homebrew kit, and that was it. That was it for me. I was bitten by the bug of brewing, and from that point on, I guess that was a, you know the end of uh, I don't know what year that was. Uh, 
94, no, yeah, I'm, yeah, around 94, no, I'm sorry, not 94, uh, 94, I would have been 24, so 2004, I guess that was, um, and um, I just was bitten by the bug, and I just, con I just brewed, and brewed, and brewed, and brewed, um, I eventually moved out to, St I was living in Brooklyn at the time, and uh, I moved out to Staten Island, that's wh where we, Jay, I met Jay, Jay's from Staten Island, I bought a house to have a little bit more space in New York, and uh, with a backyard and a basement, so that became my little brew laboratory. And uh, you know, I just was an obsessive home brewer, and, and eventually, I started getting good, good enough at it that I was formulating my own recipes. And you know, once I started getting to that that point where I realized that whatever I th thought I could make um, was really inspiring to me, especially coming from being a musician. I was a bass player, so bass players are wholly dependent on other players. To, for their craft, and uh, you know, I, I, it was just me and that and this craft, and I really became obsessed with it. Um, and uh, I pretty much, I, I pretty much didn't stop homebrewing until we got up here. But um, um, that said, I met Jay in, in, in on Staten Island. I was doing a, uh, I got into all sorts of things. I was writing a beer column. Um, you know, I would you know judge you know, for homebrew competitions, I do all this stuff, and I had this big, I, I, I was one of the organizers of the largest homebrew, or the largest brew fest on Staten Island up until that point. It was at the minor league ballpark right around the corner from my house, and then Jay reached out to me and said that he'd like to be involved, and I was like, well, yeah, I'd love for you to be involved, and we started getting together on Thursday nights um, at a place called the Adobe Blues, which is a great craft beer bar in the neighborhood, and uh, we started drinking a lot together and talking about beer, and our philosophies were very similar. We started brewing, home brewing when we had time together, um, you know, and all that stuff. And then, uh, ironically enough, Jay was going back to Alaska, and I was moving from New York City to, to buy uh, my father-in-law's farm here in Massachusetts, in Merrimack, which is why we're one of the reasons why we're in this area is because I moved up here to buy this farm. Jay went back to Alaska, I moved up to Massachusetts, but we kept in touch. Um, because we we sort of knew that we would probably be working together one day, um, it just the paths didn't cross just yet. Um, uh, up until um, uh, it did, um, I've been up here for a while. And then when Jay and I've been up here for a couple of years, and then when Jay uh, was and Michelle decided that they didn't want to go back to Alaska, um, you know, we got back in touch and we started looking at spaces together here and. We, uh, we what was that phone call like or text <laughs> message? Well, <laughs> well, there was lots of conversation yep. um, before that. Um, I don't think uh, I don't think there was one that solidified it, but it was it was more when Jay was done with his contractual obligations in Alaska, where he decided, all right, well, I'm going to move to Amesbury, and he moved to Amesbury, and uh, and the rest is history. We we for the next you know year year or so we pounded it, um, found a space looked at every square inch of anything in this town and around. We kept coming back to Amesbury because we really loved it. And uh, we took a couple bites at this apple of this building and, and, and eventually we wound up getting it timing wise. I don't know if you've noticed, I, my, I feel like a, a kid in a candy shop. I'm looking around and I, I, I notice a, a different thing every time I look around. Uh, talk about day one when you guys opened, like leading up to day one and what, what went involved with that. and. I know you said you chose the space, you were looking at it, but, you know, what did you guys learn from opening your own brewery? I mean, you got called in and said, contract brew for me, be this, be this guy, be the brewer, help me open this. But doing it on your own, what did you guys learn? Um, make sure you open with two POS systems. <laughs> that's, that's definitely that's, a good one. That's, that's my that's first one. lesson that we learned. Uh, we only had one POS system when we opened uh, the first the first weekend and it was pandemonium there was a line out the door and around the corner and I'm really 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 sorry <laughs> to everybody in Amesbury for that because it could have been avoided by just having another POS system but everybody was really patient with us um, and uh, they they sort of looked past the fact so we had somebody we were sending people out on the line to give tasters out so that people wouldn't leave you know I mean um, but yeah, that, that was probably one of the first lessons we learned really quickly is to make sure that you can push your service through quicker. Um, don't make people wait. Yeah, and I think, you know, going back not just to opening but building the space, I think it's, you know, the patience is, a, is something that needs to be learned. And, um, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It was definitely a, a good kind of thing. I think for our build-out was really uh, 
it, it dragged on a little bit for us, a little slower than we would have liked at certain points. Um, we signed the lease here for the space at the end of September in 2016. Um, and we didn't open until September 8th of 2017. Um, it was almost a year. So it was just about a year that it took us from when we signed the lease. Um, and of course we had been working on everything up to that, you know, the, the equipment and the, um, the concepts and all those things but once we had the space then it was like all right well now we can now we have something that's tangible that we can really kind of start you know wrapping our heads around so the design of the space i think because you know what you guys see here is basically what we have you know this is we have about 1700 square feet it incorporates the tap room it incorporates the brewery um we don't have a lot of space where we have you know we built our walk-in cooler down in the basement we have some office space and storage space downstairs but it's pretty minimal so uh, for us maximizing the the room here because our whole concept is we're a tasting room we're a tap room we're a public house we want people to come here and, and drink the beer here um, we don't distribute any beer outside of here we have crawlers that we sell to go but really every drop that we make here we sell out of the tap room so um, number one thing was making sure we were able to maximize that seat-wise and capacity-wise and, and experience-wise. You know, we didn't just want to cram everybody in here like sardines, just feeding them beers and then kicking them out the door. You know, you want to make them comfortable. You want to, um, you know, we went back and forth over whether we were going to do food stuff, you know, what we were, what the design was going to be. I mean, we went through six or seven different layouts here. Uh, where the bar was going to be, was the bar going to be in the center? Was the good bar going to be off to the side? Where was the equipment going to be? I mean but we were really kind of limited on what we could do and still have a production facility here. Um, like we, we like to say, you know, this space is a, it's a great retail space space, but it's, it's kind of a nightmare logistically for an operating brewery. Um, you know, Mark and I carry the bags of grain in and out of here into the basement, you know, delivery showing up when it's raining or snowing, there's no way for them to go. They just sit outside. Um, it's not conducive to, a brewery so much but the as a retail space where we're located downtown in Amesbury here being having the parking lot across the street you know the the space itself kind of overrode all of those concerns and, and we you know we're the only ones that deal with that nobody else really sees that you know we we decided that we were okay with with shouldering the load on that stuff because of what this space could could potentially be for us retail wise um, we're suffering for all you guys <laughs> plus Appreciate we're right it. plus we're right on the powwow i mean how could you if you guys can i i can hear the powwow on my headphones i don't know if you guys can hear it but there's like the little white noise of the powwow river that runs right behind the building and there's just something so special about being in this space not only just drinking but for jay and i working you know to be able to sit and brew all day and then just gaze outside the window and there's the powwow and it's just this this rushing river behind the the brewery it's really it's inspiring and it and it and it and it certainly helps us get through the fact that we have to carry everything over our shoulders that's for sure yeah and haven't like also we so we have a beer garden outside so we have some tables out there in the warmer weather um that was a big part of it for us and a, a really big like you know that was for me, having that really kind of sold the space because I think it's important for people to be able to sit outside. I enjoy sitting outside and drinking a beer, and there's really not anywhere else in Amesbury um, where you can do that. So that was a that was kind of critical for us. And like Mark said, and like for us being in here every day, it was like designing a place that when I walk in here, I want to be like, yeah, yeah, I feel good. Like, we want to hang out. I want to be right. here. Yeah, you know, I want to hang out. Like it makes me feel good when I walk in here every morning. So that was really important because. You can make the best beer in the world, but if, you know, to me, if you're walking into an industrial park and there's, you know, fluorescent lights and you're no sitting windows. on a pile of, of pallets and, you know, it's just not the same thing. You know, it's about the whole experience. It's, um, the, you know, you always get asked as a brewer, they say, oh, what's your favorite beer? Right? What, 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 what beer do you drink? What's your favorite beer? And, and, you know, to me, I can't answer that question. It's always, well, who am I with? You know, where am I? What time of year is it? You know, because all that ties into the, some of the best beers in the world I've, that I've had in my experience. M maybe the beer wasn't the best example or the, or the best beer. But if I was with somebody that we were having great conversation, if I were in, it was in a beautiful place, you know, you don't it all ties together. It's not just about one single thing. It's about all the elements coming together. Yeah. And um, that's really for us what this space, what we wanted to achieve when designing this space. And. But it was a long road, you know. We we waited for a long time. We um we were waiting on the builder for a while, 
uh, the floor in here originally wasn't going to be redone. And um, so we were all set. We had all our equipment. Our equipment was ordered and it was about to show up. And we came in, I think it was April 1st of 2017, and they were tearing up the floor in here. Yeah, there was a machine in here ripping up the floor. We showed up and one day. the two of us were like, oh, okay. Uh, we didn't know this was happening. And it was like, yeah, that we decided that uh, it was the best thing to do for the space. So we're going to tear it up. It'll be back down soon. And uh, two months later, we finally got a floor. So... Yeah. Uh, it was just dirt in here. So, you know, we walk in here every day and, and we're just kind of looking around and there was, you can't build anything if there's no floor. Yeah. Right? So it was a, that was a, yeah. a really kind of, yeah. it was, it was kind of a start and stop for us because we were all gang ho and gung ho and, you know, equipment's showing up and we're ready to go. And it was a, in the end, you know, all that stuff kind of fades away. Yeah. Um, but it was a, it was a good lesson in patience and kind of waiting, you know, good things come to those who wait it's, it's funny that you guys mentioned it because i was listening to your podcast what you guys do riverwalk and uh i thought steve is really great and, and this is a steve story because we were talking to steve about our frustrations we were having a beer with him or one day and we were saying god because steve just lives just right up the street you could throw a rock at his house from here and um uh we were like oh man you know we're going to be set behind, you know, we're, we're really frustrated. And he goes, and he looks at us and he goes, listen, you know, I know it's frustrating, but he was like, in a couple months from now, you guys will be open and all the stuff will be in your rear view. You won't even think about it anymore. It'll be over, you know? And uh, it, it really took that statement from him to sort of put my mind at ease a little bit because I was like, okay, you know what I mean? Because he's been through this a few times before too. And it was just, it was just good to hear someone talking you down off the mountain a little bit. Um, and he's been great in that sort of respect. Whenever we get a little frustrated, we'll talk to Steve and we feel a little bit better because he's, he's been through it and uh, he's, been, he's been really great to us. All right, so really quickly, um, before we wrap up, what do you, where do you guys see Sylvaticus in five years? Where's the future? What's the goal? Because you guys have accomplished so much already. Well, I mean, you know, the Sabbaticus obviously means of the wood, right? It's, it's a Latin version for of the wood. There's no coincidence in that. It's not just, it's just not, it's not just an inspiration for us being from the outdoors where, where Jay and I both gain a lot of inspiration and in how this whole thing started. But because we really love to do wood age beers, um, we really love wood beers, you know, beers fermented in wood, beers aged in wood. Um, and we have uh, some ambition to do that. Um, and sort of push that envelope with making beers um, uh, uh, that are that are unique that you can only have here. Um, so I, I think that that as as time goes on, we'll see that increase. Um, uh, we're pretty much a capacity here, unfortunately, um, but we have a little bit of space that we might be gaining on the other side of the building uh, for for more barrel aging stuff. So stay tuned for that. Excellent. All right. So some stock questions. These are the Round robin, quick questions. Um, do you have a guilty pleasure beer? Guinness. Yeah, I mean, is it is that a guilty? I shouldn't feel guilty for liking Guinness. No, no, not at all. I can go into a bar and if they got a good clean Guinness line, I'm happy. I, I don't need to I don't need to drink anything else. I'm good with that. Sounds good. What's in your refrigerator at home, beer wise? Hmm. I ha Absolutely nothing. <laughs> You know, it's funny. Uh, I don't I, spend enough time at home to drink beer. <laughs> for, you know, I came into this homebrew realm, right? And on my farm, I used to I brew all the time. So there was always beers on tap at the house. People knew to come by it at, at around 4 o'clock because they knew I would stop and we would be drinking beers. And ironically enough, since we opened this brewery, I haven't really had any beer on tap at home. And I don't miss it because um, I, I can bring beer home from here. Um, and I do, but n not having it on tap, I think it's given me a little bit more focus to take care of things at home. But that said, I always have something in the fridge. You know, I do have a, I do, speaking of Guinness, I have some, I have like a, an eight pack of Guinness in my fridge right now. Um, and, uh, I think I have some smoke beer, um, in the fridge. Um, what else? And there's always a bottle of, um, a Rodenbach in my fridge. Okay. Because that's like that's that is like I know I could speak for Jay when uh, and myself to say that's one of our all-time favorite beers. Uh, Flemish Red is absolutely one of my top ten, top five favorite beers of all time. 
Um, so there's always a case of it in my basement and always a bottle in the fridge. Mm -hmm. I see cans behind me. I know you mentioned that you aren't distributing. Is there any plans in the future? Well, I mean, we had some ambition in the beginning to, to push some kegs out the door. Um, and after our first week, we quickly realized that that wasn't going to happen. Whether or not that happens in the future, well, we, I mean, the short answer is yes. The long answer is I don't know yet. Right. You know. Perfect. Perfect answer. Um, yes. Thank you. You know what? Uh, it's been a long day. <laughs> All right. Um, tell us where we can find you on social media and uh, anything else you'd want to share with listeners. Um, Brewery Sylvaticus on uh, Instagram. Uh, we have a Facebook and we, we try to keep everything updated when we do new beer release uh, when we have we do a lot of food trucks and food events on Thursday nights so uh, any info that's the best place to kind of find it excellent yep it's up to the minute brewsabaticus.com sabaticusbeers.com you can find us either of those places and you jump off on all social media uh, through those yep alright we always lead off with this question uh, what are you guys most proud of brewery wise anything, anything. Oh well, my kids. <laughs> That's a simple answer, but 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 beer-wise, I, I what this this thing that we've accomplished um, is is pretty it's pretty special because again, like I was saying, when you open up a business, you have hope and ambition of where you want something to be, and not only did it turn out that way, it turned out better. So we're we're I'm very proud of this thing and this town, Amesbury. I'm proud of Amesbury. How about that? That's good. That's good. That was my answer. <laughs> was it? Yeah. No, I know. I grew up around this area. I played in a band in Amesbury. And I remember no my mom being like, there's really nothing going on. Why are you in a band from Amesbury? And now <laughs> I kind of wish I was in a band from Amesbury. You know, it would be cool to play around here. A lot listen, of good. Uh, listen, Amesbury is hip, man. Yeah. And, uh, um, a lot of good restaurants it, around. It's and just going to take a little while for everybody else to, to know what we already know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for taking some time out no, of your day. No, thank you. No problem. Yeah, thanks for coming up, guys. You awesome. Guys, great. You guys have some empty glasses. Do you want to refill them? I think we do. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> All right. All right. Take care. Cheers. What a great interview. I'm uh, so yeah. happy. They were a lot of fun. Uh, that was like the first nice day in in like February that came up. So wow. I remember just sitting there and chatting. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Good beer. That's great. And their beer garden is amazing. I don't know. Emily, if you've gotten a chance, but if any of our listeners, they are right off of 95, right before the New Hampshire border. So if you're going up there this weekend or next weekend for the 4th of July, stop in and grab a growler or, you know, just try their beer because their beer garden is so awesome. That's a great recommendation because so many people are going to be driving up to New Hampshire and Maine for yeah. that weekend. I and mean, if you're gonna the traffic gets insane. Yeah, if you're going to be stuck in traffic, grab a beer before, but drive safe. Yeah. Of course. Don't drive with beer and don't drive drunk. Drink it once you get to your destination. Duh. Facts. All right. So one thing I really want to share with you guys before we jump off is that Brew Roots is selling merch. So we have a store. If you go to brewroots.com and you click on shop, uh, you can see like we've got some t-shirts, got the crop tops, we've got a mug and we have a backpack and I'm going to be adding some more products by request. So uh, if you guys were looking for t-shirts, I know I had a lot of people reaching out asking about, you know, when are you going to get t-shirts? So I did that for you guys, uh, brewroots.com, click on shop, it'll take you right there. And yeah, so I drink exclusively out of my Brewroots coffee mug, so if you don't have one already, get one. I don't have one already, so I should probably get one. Yeah, you know where you can get it? Brewroots.com. And click on shop. Click on shop. It'll take you right there. And if you guys have requests for products or something that you want to see, I know people have been saying, like, sweatpants, get hoodies. Uh, so I'm working on getting those up into the shop, too. I want, like, a, a beanie. A beanie would be cool. A Brewerts beanie in time for winter and summer. Maybe a snapback. A snapback would like be that. sick. I'm wearing a snapback right now. Very nice. Well, if you guys aren't following us on Instagram already, follow us on Instagram, at Brewroots. Uh, we're at Brew Roots on everything, Facebook and Twitter also, and we're doing live streams uh, a couple of nights a week, so hopefully you guys will join us for that. We love bringing people on live and talking to them directly, so if you guys want to join us, send us a DM. We'll set up a time to go live together, and uh, we can't wait to hear from you guys, so yeah. see you next week. See you next week, but before we go, I just wanted to let you know next week's episode is going to be Brew Roots Guide to 4th of July. Oh, yeah. So we're going to be talking about the founding father... And the beer that they maybe drank. Very nice. Yeah, and other other Fourth of July related stuff. So it's the best holiday. What 
other holiday can you drink and eat hot dogs and celebrate America and fireworks? My favorite thing is the hot dogs. Hot dogs! All right, well, hot diggity dog. We are on to the weekend. All right. Have a great weekend, guys, and we'll catch you next week. Cheers. Cheers.